Genre. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story, except when we don't. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're playing a game called Fan Theories. I don't have any other name for it. It's just Fan Theories. Joining us for the discussion is a returning guest, Kirsta. Welcome back, Kirsta. Hello. And returning guest, Todd Peterson. Welcome back, Todd. Great to be here. And as with all of our game episodes, producer Andrew is going to be our MC, helping to guide us through this. Such as it is. Yes, I don't think you're going to have to be too heavily involved other than keeping score and maybe helping us to select the order here at the top. Okay, I, <laughs> I've i drawn a circle in my carpet and divided it into <laughs> thirds. And I'm going to drop something. It is a comb, because uh, <laughs> that's what was at hand. And whichever quadrant, or well, tridrant tr- tr- <laughs> is closest to, that person will uh, be going first. Okay, so... It, in order from, uh, well, I, I know where things are. Yeah. Okay. I'm ready. That is going to be Joe going first, followed by Kirsta and then Todd. Okay. This right. is This is what the gods wanted. Yeah. This was like half divination, half, you know, coin toss. It's practically dowsing. <laughs> One now, of these days, let me tell you about how I was accosted by a dowser and called to it in the parking lot of an Ace hardware store. Wow. But that's for another day, maybe another show. That's a, a little tease for listeners. You want to be long Or a red herring. You never know. You never know <laughs> <laughs> when, uh, when the dowsing story will come out. Uh, so, so, listeners, the fan theory game is this. And we're hoping you will be able to play along. We have each identified three fan theories, uh, which are the non-canonical interpretations of existing works, where fans look at something, a book, a movie, or, or a long-running series, and they say, what if you know this was a part of that? Uh, and then they defend their fan theories uh, with whatever level of uh, detail they, they wish to go to. And we have found our fan theories, and we are going to give... Th- a general description of what the theory is, and then three clues that should lead us to being able to identify what the theory is. If you identify the fan theory after the first clue, you would get three points. And so so that everyone can uh, listening can play along. We're not actually going to say any of our guesses. So after the first clue, if anyone wants to lock in, they would just say, my guess is locked in. Uh, if you can identify after the second clue, you get two points. After the third clue, you get one point. If you miss your guess, you get zero points uh, for, for that particular round. So we're going to have three rounds where each one of us gives a fan theory with three clues to it. Uh, so, in fact, why don't I give a quick example, which is the one that kind of helped guide us through this. And this is one that Kirsta had uh, written up for us to help us kind of wrap our heads around how we'd play this game. So the fan theory would be a main character is neurodivergent or on the autism spectrum, even though those diagnoses weren't known at the time the work was produced. So that's our general framework. And now here's some clues that would guide you to it. This Sorry, character... are, we, are we describing the story first, just saying like it's a it's a classic work of literature or something? Oh, well, like, yeah. like, like give a medium or something. Yeah, maybe a medium. So this was a work of literature is the example okay. you gave. Sorry, I had cut off that part on the script just by where That's I landed right. on my scroll. <laughs> but you are right. I have that. I have that included in my examples of, okay. of just like a basic if it's like a, a basic medium, because, yeah, you do need a little framework to be able to make these guesses. Yeah, right. Because then you would jive. We go Bojack Horseman and then be like, no, no, that's a wasted, you know, <laughs> guess. <laughs> So the clues that well, you have come and, up and with you were... Be, and you wouldn't be shouting it out. You'd be writing it down and locking in. Yeah. That's right. Uh, this character comes off as rude and snobbish to strangers in the book, even though his close friends and servants say that he is kind and generous. Uh, option or clue number two is this character always tells the truth, even when that is a socially awkward thing to do. And clue number three would be the first time we meet him, this character refuses to dance with someone he doesn't know at a ball. And by then... I like when I saw all three, I was like, oh, okay, it is definitely uh, Darcy from Pride and Prejudice. But when I heard the first clue, I was like, is it Sherlock Holmes? That was my guess was Sherlock Holmes. But I would have been wrong if I'd locked in after only one clue. So this is a little bit of a gamble of at what point do you lock in? All right. So here is our first official round. And I will give the first fan theory. And this is the medium of television. The fan theory. This character has experienced a mental breakdown and everything we see 
is only in their head. And I know that immediately is like, well, that's a dozen fan theories I can come up with. <laughs> but that's that's where we're going with this character's experience of mental breakdown and everything we see is only in their head. Okay. Clue number one, this character lives a comfortable life and has regular interactions with his family. Is anyone going to lock in on that? No. I, I, I didn't really expect it. Clue yeah. number two, <laughs> we know this character from a previous series and this family never once appeared there. Ah, I'm I'm locking in. I oh no, oh no. I, I think it's risky, but I'm locking in. I have a I guess, am too. but I don't want to lock in. Okay, so we have two locked in and one holding off. Is that correct? Okay. Yes. All right. Clue number three. At the end of that other series, the character's wife left him to be with a balding Frenchman living in an underground ecopod, and he feigned a suicide attempt in order to garner her attention, but she still left him. I don't think I know that, what this that is. That doesn't add anything to my my guess. <laughs> if you happen to know it, it's very specific. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm sure that's very specific, if you know it. All right, but Kirsta, you can still lock in a, uh, a wild stab if you're not 100% sure. I know. I don't think I have even a wild stab. Okay, well then, uh, who, let's see, Todd Peterson, what was your guess that you locked in after two clues? At clue number two, I said Bob Newhart. Oh, interesting guess. I could see that how... was my that was my not sure guess, but I'm pretty but then, sure that that's not how Newhart ends. Yeah, and then clue number three tanked it, and I uh, <laughs> I ended up nowhere. Okay, uh, Andrew, do you have a locked in guess? You put in Frasier. That is correct. This is uh, the uh, the theory is that the entire series of Frasier is Frasier Crane having a mental breakdown, probably fueled by a lot of alcohol after Cheers ends, because okay. because of some of those weird things where it's like he said his dad was dead and mm -hmm. and didn't. The actor who plays his dad appeared in the last yes. season of Cheers. I was going to say, Joseph knows the answer to this. <laughs> and the character who plays Roz appeared as a side character in the last season of Cheers. Huh. He said he was an only child at one point in Cheers. Yeah. Uh, and also at the end of Cheers, like his life is kind of falling apart around him. Like it really, uh, Lilith mm -hmm. leaves yes. him and he he does uh, feign a suicide attempt and, and, and trying to win her back and she still leaves him. Uh, and so That's... the theory is a very dark turn. He is now imagining an idealized world where he has a father and a brother and <laughs> a family, a family around him. <laughs> but see, this is, this is deep eighties television because, um, which was it? Uh, St. Elsewhere mm -hmm. had, had one of these kind of like, uh, trapped inside of a snow globe. I think that's what they're yeah. talking about it with the autistic kid. And, uh, it drove everybody mad that it's like the whole of, everything that took place in that uh, was in the mind of an individual. Yes. So uh, at the person. end of, uh, of St. Elsewhere, you see a an autistic child holding a snow globe that has the hospital that the whole series has been set in. Is, I, I've never actually seen it. I've just read about it several times. Mm -hmm. But what really ha goes crazy with fan theories with this is St. Elsewhere was involved in a lot of crossovers, including the doctors from St. Elsewhere Ooh. showing up on Cheers. <laughs> Nice. That's so right. And it, it wasn't um it was was nope. I'm I'm thinking of Trapper John. But but television did this really interesting kind of like Marvel Cinematic Universe thing <laughs> for a while. <laughs> Fraser like the was the least consistent way. Exactly. So um I think um Kramer showed up in Mad About You and told Paul Reiser about uh all you really need is like three good pair of pants and something like that, and it was just it 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 happened. It was just this, they, they would walk across the boundaries of the series. It was kind of awesome. There yeah, was, there, and, I know uh, there's like, uh, there's someone has cataloged like a pretty extensive thing where like over a hundred shows are connected due to these cameos. Like mm -hmm. a lot of them feed through friends because friends had a lot of actor cameos. And yeah. then, but then the, the same actor would show up as something else. And I mean, I direct your attention to happy days, Laverne and Shirley. Mork. Yes. 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 I was going to say happy that days. Might be the, the, was that might I'm be seeing. the beginning of it. And that's the, that one has the spinoffs of spinoffs of spinoffs happening. Oh, Joni loves Chachi. So that's four. Mm -hmm. I had a PowerPoint slide about this in a lecture at one point in my <laughs> teaching career. <laughs> but I think <laughs> about the happy days spinoffs. <laughs> but this is the popular culture guy. I mean, like there is a lot of kind of uh, unsuspecting sophistication in even in in the era of episodic television way long before we have the prestige stuff where there's this sense that there's this kind of larger thing going mm -hmm. 
I can't think of anything crossing networks, though. I'm, I'm um, sure there is, though. I mean, The Simpsons came out of. Um, uh, ah, I'm getting too old and I'm forgetting. It's what's uh, her name? British oh, actress. Oh, um, it was Janine. a short on. Uh, yeah, and Tracy I, I'm like, yeah, Tracy Ullman. Yeah, and I remember seeing that short when I was watching. I'm that old. Uh, watching Tracy Ullman, I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then, boom, we're we're off to the races. So. I don't know. Is is it like Greek mythology? Is it like all these television shows like have these other shows growing out of their thighs? <laughs> <laughs> so Happy Days had seven official spinoffs. Oh, uh, wow. But two okay. of them were animated as well. So that, that I just went and double checked that. <laughs> I have I have found my my details. It is called the Tommy Westfall theory, and it does start with St. Elsewhere. Right. And according to Mental Floss. uh. Over 441 shows can be tied to St. Elsewhere with varying degrees of separation, ranging from I Love Lucy to The Flash. Goodness. Wow. I don't have that one in the fan theory game. That's not exactly what you're going for. (laughs) Um, But isn't isn't this the medium into which the fan theories are born? Like mm -hmm. because it's legitimate that they people have seen other things. It gives you like a double O number to go find other things where this may be happening. Like, I I think it just opens the door for that kind of playfulness. Yeah, definitely. Wow, this is this is crazy. There's a whole like visual grid mapping the connections. Wow. Anyway, we'll, we'll get why isn't QAnon working on this? <laughs> <laughs> Is my that's my question. I, if all, all right. that energy was just put into pop culture analysis, <laughs> <laughs> so okay. I believe after Kirsten. round one, Andrew has two points. Yes, and Good Kirsten's job, up Andrew. next. Okay, um, my story is a classic film. And the fan theory, so in the story, a supporting character dies, and the fan theory is that she faked her death. So, clue number one, the character who dies is the mother of the main character, but we technically never see her body. So that supports the fan theory, in that we actually never see what happens. Anyone want to lock it in? No. No, no. I, I have to say, I had I had really very no sense of how hard or how easy these would be. So <laughs> mine you know, may vary really, greatly. Like if you struggle with that, first really one, hard to gauge. Don't that. worry, Another, yes. one of the next ones may be a lot yes. easier. Okay, um, clue number two: This character, according to the fan theory, this character faked her death so that the main character would be less dependent on her and would instead grow closer to his father, which is indeed what happens in the movie. I'm not I'm not logging through movies with widowers. <laughs> yeah, like I'm trying to piece this together. I got nothing so far. Mm. I'm not ready to lock anything in. Okay, clue number three. The Disney animators were originally going to draw her lying in a pool of blood before the hunters took her away, but they ultimately decided that went too far. I believe I have. Oh, I okay. I, I got I got something locked in now. I'm in, I think. Okay. Unless I just got red herringed. <laughs> okay. Uh, the, the the film is Bambi, and the theory is that Bambi mo- Bambi's mother fakes her death and is not actually shot by the hunters. In in order that Bambi can spend a season with his dad and, and become the great prince of the forest. Exactly. Okay. Oh, I, my gosh. I see what you're saying. Bambi's mom Gandalfed Bambi. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> So, I guess I should have asked. I guess I should have asked. So is that what you all had guessed by the end? I forgot to ask that. Uh, that was my one point guess. Okay. Jo- Joseph. Yeah, that was also my one point guess. I, I locked in. It was when you said the hunter. That's when I was mm-hmm. like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. That's what tipped me over the edge. Todd. Did, did Disney uh, animator help as well? Yeah. Yes. Well, yes. Also, knowing it was animated. <laughs> Quickly narrowed, <laughs> narrowed some things down. Knowing animated and then hearing hunter. That's when I, I was like, okay. okay I didn't have a moment of like, in Snow White. I'm like, does that? What? No, right. I don't think that fits at all with Snow White, does it? <laughs> no. Todd, Todd, did you get it? I need to know for scoring purposes. For scoring purposes, I was befuddled. But oh, my, my what, own what overactive guess? imagination 
drew me aside. What had you gone for? Well, here's the thing. (laughs) I've only ever heard Frozen. (laughs) (laughs) This is good. This is like fan theories about fan theories. So uh, I I think I have a, a, a mental model that doesn't match the film. Sure. Yeah, so, both parents are gone and frozen. <laughs> so yeah, so maybe, I, maybe one of them faked your death. That could be. So yeah, so I went. I went. Uh, I went a direction. It was cool. Okay. I think. I think it might make some good fan fiction. No, this is good. Mm-hmm. And you know, the best fan fiction is written without being familiar with the source material, so you're not constrained by that. It's, and there, it's true. there is, in fact, a lot of fan theorizing about the frozen parents. Sure. I don't want to get into that. I will just. I have some opinions. Do any of you have any of those for yours? That they're in carbonite? No, the theory was that they. Uh, there's they, a, there's they're a Tarzan's few. parents. Uh, oh, yeah. they get shipwrecked. I and that the shipwreck something. is the shipwreck that the Little Mermaid explores, mm-hmm. and that they were traveling to uh, Rapunzel's wedding. Trying at to the nice. time. All, all sorts of those, yeah. Largely all disproved by Frozen 2. <laughs> oh, darn it. This, I, despite I, the uh, theory mongering of producers and directors and writers. <laughs> was this an instance because we see this with fan theories for. So, so, so there, I think there's a difference in fan theories and maybe I should say this for later. But I'm just going to say no. There's a difference of when you're like look at a completed work and you just like put a little spin and reinterpretation on it. And then there's like I know another chapter is coming. So I'm going to theorize what's ha- what's coming next. Oh, yeah. Based mm-hmm. on it. And I think sometimes with that one, fans get angry when their theories don't. <laughs> get proven by well and and like the after. the frozen theories predated the the announcement of frozen 2 by quite a bit it was pretty I instantaneous mean, they're like now we gotta let's let's throw in some extra stuff I, I i viewed frozen's opening weekend box office as the green light to frozen 2 myself <laughs> <laughs> well, a, see, a, a an implicit sequel yeah and and what i want to do now is i'm now a side loop of my brain is composing a story in which uh, the FBI kind of goes into some guy's apartment and he has a crazy wall, but it's this. <laughs> it's connecting all the Disney films. That's right. Like it's, That's he's not, wall. he's actually not a serial killer. He's, but... he's a podcaster like me because I've, I've played with this um, in, in my other podcast. He's I've got red, about, yeah, like, he's got red yarn going between all these things. I've, I've talked about, you know, it's like, well, okay. If we, if we take this, so, in Tarzan, Mrs. Potts and Chip are visible as part of the tea set. So you could say that Belle and Beast escaped the French Revolution, made it to England, became the Porters. And that's Jane's family. And the tea set is a family heirloom. <laughs> Very nice. So, so Joe, to restate your theory, maybe, I guess you could say there are fan theories where we have all the information from the creators that we're ever going to have. So whether or not you think Mr. Darcy is neurodivergent, like Jane Austen is not going to weigh in on this. But there are another fan theories like what is going to happen in the next installation of Star Wars, which is like you will you will have that confirmed or you will maybe have that refuted because more information is yet to come out. Right. And I think sometimes fans feel like they're telling a better version of a story uh, mm-hmm. than, than what they end up actually getting. <laughs> right. And that leads to some of the backlash where it's like, if you just had went into the work with, you know, to see what it was instead of like, Oh, well, I want it to be this because I read this online. And it, I, sorry, I was gonna say, I would love to see like better sublimation and just be like, Oh, if you didn't get the story you want, then like go sit down and crack your knuckles and start typing. <laughs> but what they do instead is is well, they um, do rage. Their knuckles and start yeah, is, is they rage on Twitter <laughs> on, on social media. <laughs> it, it is cracking their knuckles and starting typing, just not the way you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, they, they crack their thumbs, I guess. <laughs> um, but but this is what I think was the great hope of people like Lawrence Lessig and uh, Henry Jenkins and whatever that somehow feedback loop culture or convergence culture would result in us being able to tell cool stories, but really what it's just done is unlocked rage (laughs) because somebody didn't guess what was in the pocket of their mind. 
Um, <laughs> and when I was a kid, what we used to just do is for our own stories. I mean, that's what Star Wars figures were for, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I will just go play this idea that I wanted um, and, and everything was fine. But now if it's like, look, if you didn't serve me the thing I wanted, you've ruined everything, including my childhood. And I'm going to go limp and scream in Target at 32 or whatever it is that's happening. <laughs> so it's, I, I, just, I think it's a really, really interesting thing to observe in culture. Like mm-hmm. it could just be like that movie didn't do what I wanted. So I'll go make a comic of it or I'll go make a, um, uh, gosh, with Star Wars, it was like, I'll go make really bad stop motion animation. <laughs> um, wow that's a to, that's an insight to, into some of my childhood <laughs> <laughs> sorry well, trigger, yeah, that, trigger warning sorry guys i didn't know anyone had seen those vhs tapes of my <laughs> record record <laughs> the red I mean, button on the version, real fast there, somewhere there's an eight a super eight film of me with uh, an indiana jones hat and a day old beard drawn on with a mascara pencil <laughs> I suspect you're not the only one. Are you sliding under your uh, your um, garage, garage door? door? Yeah. <laughs> yep. All oh, of it. All of I it. Did. Yep. Okay. Um, All right. But, uh, but, but, again, but the, again, this. <laughs> it's so productive to come up with the theories. It's so non-productive to just to uh, rage. Well, mm-hmm. I think yeah. I. Well, now I'm really like I, I've been struck by lightning, and I have a, an idea that I'm not going to explore very deeply. Um, but I think maybe the issue is that so many people did that. And then through social media, everyone suddenly had a mass outlet right now. Everyone can see what I'm thinking. And so it shifted from, I can play with my toys and do whatever adventure I want to, I can project my adventure and that should be what everyone consumes, right? By giving everyone the, the mass media outlet, everyone assumed a mass media audience. And it's like, oh. okay, so my my vision is only valid if it is the way that it is. Whereas previously, when there was no mass um, exportation of of the of the theory, you can just play play in the sandbox and do whatever you want, and then that's fine. That's good enough for you. But at some point, something switched, and now it's like, well, I want what I thought. I want my sandbox to be the reality. This is all really good. And I, I just thought we were going to do this after the rounds of the game. And I'm sorry. I got us down this path. But I'm, I'm just going to steer us back. And we're going we're gonna to pocket this. And we're going to bring it out after we finish scoring all the rounds. R- round three. Todd, <laughs> you, you get to take your first pick. Okay. Uh, this is a film. Uh, in this film, this character has a nemesis. I'm being obtuse on purpose. Um, <laughs> Have we gotten to the fan theory yet? <laughs> this is basic plot structure so far. <laughs> okay, I I, th- I have a second half of this, and I'm I'm kind of de- uh, rebuilding de- this de- on the fly. How how much is going to reveal? I will just say no one's okay. guessed on a first round yet, so okay, we let's not giving away I'll, too much. I, I'll bump it up. I'll bump it up. This character spawns his own nemesis. Okay. Is that the? Does that count as the first? As That's the first? I'm 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 uh, I revised myself. We went back. So this character the... spawns his own nemesis. That's number one. Okay. I I don't have a guess because I I can only think of one thing, and I think it's not a fan theory. I think that's actually canon, so I don't have a guess. Yeah. So so far, I feel like it's like okay. I I haven't gotten any theory. Mm-hmm. Okay. Round two. So wait, wait, wait. In the in the traditional interpretation of the film, there's a character and a nemesis. The fan theory is that the character spawned his own nemesis. Correct. Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Uh, this may be a giveaway. Um, this character shares a tattoo with this nemesis. I'm going to lock this in. And it's based on a previous episode of this podcast in which you were the guest. <laughs> Oh, I know no. this. This is this is problematic. <laughs> mm. If it makes you feel better, I I don't have it. I uh, I feel like I uh, have like I, I almost like I'm cheating, but I'm not. It's just I was on a podcast episode where we kind of hinted at this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, by cheating you mean you have 
cultural knowledge and research. <laughs> well, in this case, I was, I was in a conversation with Todd Peterson. Insider trading. <laughs> yeah, there it is. That's what, what we have going on. All right, let's get round three. Yeah. This character's nemesis is his brother. Wait, he spawned his own brother in this fan theory? Who shares well, a tattoo with their brother? This is, um, this. I chose something that I thought was interesting, and then I went down some Reddit holes, and I came, <laughs> and, and I came back with complications. <laughs> I, I do, I do not have an answer. Yeah, neither do I. My answer is raising Arizona. That is correct. In he high, has a and brother the in raising hunter. Arizona. The, the bounty hunter, they share a tattoo of Woody Woodpecker, oh. or at least it looks like Woody Woodpecker. Right, and this is this is where it goes crazy, because it looks like Woody Woodpecker, but it's actually uh, a character named Mr. Horsepower, <laughs> which comes from 1931 from Clay Smith Cams. It's an auto parts company. Sure. And it's close. And this is the great joke. This is why they're geniuses. It's close, but no cigar. What that means is... <laughs> There's no cigar in the woodpecker's mouth. Mr. Horsepower has one. This one doesn't. Oh my god! So I swear, this is my theory. I swear that that's they were playing the game of close but no cigar. <laughs> like I think, I think that's literally like the James Joyce level thing the Coen Brothers are doing with that. So in the film, there's no explanation for like we find out why the bounty hunters there, but there's no explanation for the shared tattoo. So that's what has spawned all these fan theories. Correct? Right. And, and so what, what's happened is, is that there's a line and I think each one of the questions was one of the possible fan theories about the existence <laughs> of the thing. So uh, obvious is that he shares a tattoo. Mm -hmm. um, spawning his own ne nemesis is one line. And, and this actually jumps into bigger stuff. Like some Fan theories are that Leonard Smalls, the lone biker of the apocalypse, is actually the inception point for Anton Chigurh, even though they didn't write No Country for Old Men. <laughs> <laughs> but that it drew them to that because they had thought this idea huh. of, of an inexorable evil that just marches straight across. So this is the crazy red yarn room of Coen brothers films that we're yes. entering into. And, and so that, so that part, part of this thing that happens, part of the thing that emerges is that this, this idea for a character, you know, marches across a number of their films and, you know, perhaps it's there with, um, uh, we can't even start because it's too deep. <laughs> okay. But uh, that, that, the, the idea was that he spawned it himself because, high is sitting in a chair and he thinks about the evil, which is to come based on what he did. And while he is dreaming, the lone biker of the apocalypse's exhaust pipes burn simultaneously out of HI's ears. And then the lone biker is riding in the dark, jumps his motorcycle. When he lands, it's daytime. And so they're saying that he actually spawned his own nemesis. He leapt from his own mind onto the screen and then he continued to interact with it. That's one theory. The tattoo was just the linkage point to give a, a clue. And then the, the character's nemesis is his brother is the second theory that he did not spawn him himself. But in fact, High and Leonard Smalls were separated at birth <laughs> and had as babies been given <laughs> a tattoo, the, like the Mr. Horsepower <laughs> tattoo, because Leonard Smalls says that he himself fetched a certain sum of money on the black market. <laughs> And that, that because this film has thematically like nature versus nurture, like what and, would happen if someone was removed and, from. And also children being kidnapped from their parents. Children being mm -hmm. kidnapped from their parents that this is rolling it in. And so, again, this is an amazing hole to go down. There are so many amazing theories on it. But uh, that's that's what uh, was going on here. Essentially, in the film, uh, Raising Arizona, there is this mysterious nemesis that the film shows you a connection that is never explained. Therefore that has been fodder for so many of these fan theories. Right. And it's just, it's there. It's obvious. It's in the production design and the Coen brothers are known for leaving stuff in there just to mess with you. All right. Uh, Joe, how many points did you get for that? Uh, two. 
right, I locked it in on the second clue. All right. I, I will say my my half guess that I dismissed was uh, Fight Club because it's canonical that the main character and his nemesis, spoilers for Fight Club, are the same person. <laughs> spoilers <laughs> for a 30-year-old film that gets referenced with great regularity. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I will just say also gets misreferenced if you know anything about the author and his mm. intent. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a yeah, that's a mood. That's a thing, too. <laughs> All right. Um, so we're back to Joe. So the fan theory is uh, or the medium is television again. Second time. The fan theory is that while the events we see are actually happening from the main character's point of view, the truth is that all of the other characters are manipulating that main character. So it's not like all in his head as with my first fan theory, like everything that we see from that character's point of view, like this is all the events that are actually occurring. It's just everyone else has ulterior motives that's around him. Like the Truman Show. Yes. Okay. I was going to say the prisoner because that episode just dropped. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Clue number one. The main character is incapable of making close friends except for one he meets in the first episode. I'm in. Oh, locked in. Oh, Going for the points. Part part of me is just like basing off of knowing Joe. And so I have a soft guess, but I'm not I'm not going to lock in. OK. Yeah, I'm, I'm not locked in. I have a I have a tiny guess, but I'm not locked in. Clue number two. The main character has a wealthy brother with the resources necessary to carry on a massive deception. I think it's not my guess is a show I haven't seen. And so. Maybe that's true. Um, I'll lock something in because I need the points, but I might be <laughs> yeah. wrong. And also, uh, the points don't matter. There are no stakes. So there is that. <laughs> All right. Uh, clue number three. The main character struggles with drug addiction unless distracted by a mystery. Oh, I might actually know it. Oh, um, well, now now I'm pretty sure. All right. So it was not what in. I was originally thinking. Everyone is locked in. The mm-hmm. real answer was Sherlock, the adaptation of Sherlock Holmes with Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman. Oh, dear. Oh, that's not the adaptation of Sherlock that I went for. Oh, were yeah, you thinking I of elementary? elementary. <laughs> I went elementary. <laughs> okay. I, I, w- I would allow a point for that if you guessed elementary. <laughs> Only one point? Uh, well, did you lock it at the third? <laughs> I locked it at the second. No, oh, I locked it at the yeah, second. Yeah, yeah oh, I think okay. she should get two points. Yeah, yeah two because- points. Sorry. I, I mean, I don't you've seen all of elementary Joseph, so I, I have yeah. not. But does all of this add up reasonably well? Yeah, it, to, it, it, for it elementary, just as well oh, as well, it does for Sherlock. I'd say no, the, the, the my version of Mycroft and Sherlock would be more capable of this than the one in elementary. But it worked. Uh, it's fine. It would be the father in elementary, not the brother. <laughs> I think okay, so re- what, reasonable enough for Kirsten to get two points. Yeah, because in elementary, and, the brother is is not a wealthy person with the the you know the power of uh, a massive spy network or anything like that <laughs> but, but but like pretty wealthy no he's a chef he's a celebrity chef in in <laughs> that's wealthy enough in my book yes todd peterson what I, was your guess i don't know how much a celebrity so, chef makes so it. i'm a cheater uh at point uh, when i jumped in i had one answer um mm. which was community mm. Mm. um but that goes to a, uh, a a fan theory i have that i don't know is shared but and then I got it at the second round when you said the brother. All right. So, so. that means a zero for Todd. Oh, because you locked in on on three. Oh, yep. you locked in early. trying to get the points. Andrew, did did you, you said elementary? So you get a point, right? Yes. But so you get one point. Kirsten gets two one, points. One up. point. Yeah. Okay. Our current point standing is Andrew with four. Todd with zero. Kirsten with two. And I have three. That that agrees with my tabulation. Okay. I'm going to shoot the moon. But but my my points are superfluous because I get 30% more opportunity to score points than you. We could just just multiply yours by by 75%. It'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, So are we only doing, are we, is this my last one? No, I think we're we're, we're good. We can probably get through this. I think we'll keep going. Because I had them in reverse order of how much I like them. So (laughs) so I I did my least favorite one first. Yeah, I think Um, you. We'll we'll go for all three rounds. Okay. So this story is a popular children's book. And the fan theory is that the main character of the book is actually one of the fair folk, uh, like from British mythology. Clue number one, 
The main character interacts with humans, but seems to have no concept of the boundaries of socially acceptable human behavior. Uh, I've got one, but I'm not confident I, I'm enough not to lock. lock. Oh, hey. Todd, hmm. are you shooting the moon? Are you going in right now? Just <laughs> No, I was okay until Fair Folk, and then I was like, ah. Once the Fae are involved, I'm very I know, hesitant. I was like, that's pretty dicey. <laughs> All right, clue number two. At the beginning of the book, the supporting characters are bored. So the main character shows up and offers to entertain them, a classic bargain by the fair folk. But instead, the main character creates chaos in the process. I'm, I'm going to go for it. I have a guess, but I'm not comfortable enough to lock in. So I'm going to wait. I'm, I'm, I'm locked. Todd? No. <laughs> no, wait. Nope. I'm in. Nope. I'm in. I'm locked in. I, I've locked in. I, I'm 100% locked oh, in now. What changed? I thought of something else and it fits. <laughs> <laughs> fits better than what you were thinking? Yep. All right. Clue number three. The book is a rhyming picture book and the main character is a cat. Boom! Oh, definitely not. Blast. All right. So, Todd, so it sounds like sounds like Joe got it. What did you guess, Joe? Oh, uh, was Todd locked in with a guess? Uh, now, but... I hope I'm I hope I'm wrong so I can hold my points. <laughs> now, now you wish to just maintain. Yeah. Uh the cat in the hat. I locked in it at the second. Yes. Excellent. What was oh, your guess, man. Andrew? I'd said Peter Pan. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. Which, I, I, which, I, I, which I, I, for your first two clues, tracks. Mm-hmm. But um but but obviously it's right. cat in the hat. At, at, yeah. Okay. So Joseph gets a point. Two points. Two two points. Oh, you had locked it in. Yeah, and, and that Todd one. gets one point if he wants it. I am. Yeah, I was correct, and but <laughs> but not in an interesting way. I, I will say, um, along the same lines, other theories is that he, the Cat in the Hat is a trickster deity or a member of the Q continuum. <laughs> oh, nice little crossover there. Yeah. Oh, that one tickles me so much. <laughs> Or just a gosh darn nuisance. I mean, I guess they're called Sally and Nick, but now I want Nick to be like little Jean-Luc. <laughs> you want it redrawn yeah. as as Q and Jean-Luc Picard. And who else? Do you want to throw in Captain Janeway? She interacts with Q. Yeah, yeah. So, so she could be the Sally. Yeah. Jane, Jane and John. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh I, I like that that one has to like, like there's so children's literature, like it's, it's everything is so broad and like caricatured that, you know, that it, I think a lot could map onto it mm-hmm. <laughs> very easily. All right, Todd, what is uh, our, your second round uh, fan theory? Oh my gosh. This one is so hard to do. And I even lied before because it was, it's three <laughs> films. It's three films. <laughs> um, and I said two, but I was incorrect. It was three films. Um, so I, I think that I can do this. I'm trying to do it as a version of the Sphinx riddle. <laughs> so, so Todd has taken the, has volunteered to take the level of difficulty up for, for, for no himself, reason. For That's right. Since clothes. I have Todd's... no since I have no points, you can't have them either. <laughs> Todd, Todd's version of this game is not the same game I've been playing, <laughs> and that's fine. Uh, that's part of the charm of, so of just playing clear, podcast games. Are these three films so by their own canon? These films. The, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So are they are they unrelated in canon? But the fan theory is that they're related. Yes, that okay. was what I was going to okay. get to. So, so, so that's the theory is that yeah, these the three fan films theory are template is that these films are connected, though they um all have different writers and directors. Okay. Okay. And so, uh. The main character, though, I guess I will do this because otherwise it's much too difficult. The main character is the common the common thread. The performer playing the main character is the common thread. Okay, okay. cool. So, uh, who walks with a boombox in the morning? <laughs> A pistol in the afternoon 
and a record store in the evening. Goodness. I think I I know the actor. I just can't actually oh. name. So so yeah, I've got, I'm, I'm hoping that you kept track my... of yourselves. But but yes, who walks with a boombox in the morning? All right. Uh, a pistol in the afternoon. Oh my gosh, I know this. And a I'm record. I'm locking it in. And, 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 and I a, think a record. I can pull. All I have is an actor, but I think I, I can pull the three films. I think I can I think... name two of them. Um. Oh no. Okay. 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 All right. I think I've got okay. it. I'm locked in. But this fan theory is amazing. Okay, hang on. I need to remember. And, and I just want to say, this is evidence of how pervasive pop culture is. I have never seen any of these films, but I think I pulled all three names out. <laughs> this I've is got... perfect. Okay, I don't I... think I know the second one. I, anyway. That's the one I'm, I'm least confident. I think I've got yeah. the actor, and I, mm-hmm. I can describe two of the films. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure I've got the name of the first one because it's part of a, a, a whole pack of films. Sure. Okay. So uh, I think we're all locked in and we're just going to say if we're right, we get three points, right? We'll say that was one clue. <laughs> do you have any other clues to go with this or? <laughs> I, I do, but they wouldn't help. Or okay. or is it the number of films that you can name? Uh, that's how, no, many, that's that, how many points you get. That would be a great way to get the points. Yes. Okay. I, are we all on board that the actor is, let's just say initials JC? <laughs> Yeah. Wait, wait. So, but the Todd hasn't given the other clues yet. Yeah. That no, that was the one clue. That, 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 see, that was my difficulty. I could. I said, oh, was, who okay. does in the morning, one, one and then we could go. The, but yeah, then so it messes in, up in the sphinxiness. Okay. Yeah. So in one film but, but, it features this. In one film it right. features that. Okay. And in one film it features that. Okay. Wait, wait, Actually, wait, you know, wait, wait, I just wait. give another clue. Why don't you go ahead and give the other clues though before we we reveal our picks or our our our. Well, those are the cues. I just I just decided to um run riot and say all of them at once. Okay. I can't remember the name of the second film. All right. I really don't. It was the actor John Cusack. That's what I wrote yes. down. Okay. okay. The first okay. films. The, the first film is Say Anything. Is say anything. Yes, 1989, okay. Cameron Crowe. And the gun is, um, is it Gross Point Blank? Correct. Yes. Correct. Oh, wow. Um, and that is, uh, I, can't, uh, I can't even remember, uh, George Armitage, 1997. Okay. And the third one was the record store, and that is High Fidelity, correct? Yeah. Correct. Stephen Frears. Uh, all 2000. Right, so that's three points for Joe and two points for Kirsta. I nope, only got, I got one I got all because three. you got all three? Yeah, oh. at, the, at the last minute. Okay. okay. I, I only got one point because I thought it was pretty in pink. Mm. I, uh, I just went and double checked because I have a memory of reading a review for gross point blank, a film I had no intention of ever seeing and remembering that it was about a, a, a hitman who goes to his high school reunion. I just double checked. That is correct. Yes. <laughs> yep. Which is a great premise for a film. I love that premise. So the, so the fan theory is that he's kind of like the hero of a thousand faces or whatever. Um, as he moves across these uh, films representing a certain uh, kind of John Cusackness at different points in time in his life. And so uh, it, what they've talked about, this is combining it as like a sliding doors. Ooh. If that reference makes sense. Sure. Uh, a sliding doors um, approach to it. So say anything was one timeline. And then let's say that Ioni sky did not decide to fly off to college with John Cusack. And then, so we get another timeline where John Cusack's character evolves himself into the assassin from Gross Point Bank. Blank. Ten years pass, and he returns back. It's a different place, of course, because say anything is Seattle, and Gross Point Blank is Michigan. Um, but he comes back, and he's living in that li- life. And so there's a whole string of like, because this thing is here. It's like people who were like charting Lost chart this fan theory and it's pretty remarkable but one of the things that's the big connection between these two films is john cusack says i gave her my heart and she gave me a pen and in gross point blank this guy takes out um a basque assassin with a pen (laughs) oh my goodness (laughs) and so the pen survives and it becomes the weapon that's in the thing and then so the next phase of his life, so the fan theories go, some of them are just gross point blank and say anything. Some people roll in high fidelity and say, um, as uh, so we got 10 years after for gross point blank, when uh, what's his name is in his 30s, when John Cusack is in his 30s, that is when he uh, lives the life 
of high fidelity realizes that he has done nothing except for been a professional appreciator of things and rolls into his real life. So it's meant to be John Cusack or uh, the 1980s male at different stages of his development, et cetera. <laughs> and it is remarkable and amazing to see what people have to say about it. And that's the theory. And I, I knew the connection or had the suspicion of the connection. Uh, I did not know it went to high fidelity. So that's what I said. I'm going to do this one because it's cool. <laughs> I really enjoyed the presentation of your clues as the riddle of the Sphinx. <laughs> I, I I do think that was pretty fun, actually. <laughs> but there you have it. And I'm going to this summer, I've decided I'm going to rewatch all of them just to see what's really going on. OK. All right. So standings after two full rounds. Uh, Andrew, let me know if this uh, is mm-hmm. what you have as well, that you have five points. Todd has one point. Kirsta has five points and I have eight points. Uh, yeah, that that comports. It feels so weird for me to be winning one of these that I was really doubting <laughs> my scorekeeping. <laughs> we went to the right. history of the games we've played on this podcast. I don't think my win percentage is terribly high other than the box office. The best part is we could probably gaslight you into being saying like, no, you only have four points. You'd be like, oh, OK, <laughs> yeah, that sounds that's more right. right. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to be that one guy in the parable who gets my point taken away. <laughs> And, you and get no get, points. That's right. But I heard that you were really tough, and so I just protected my point. <laughs> you lose. All right. Uh, three more theories await okay. us. I'm worried that I made my clues too obtuse until the third one on this, so I'm sorry if you're not able to lock in on the third one. We'll, we'll find out. This uh, medium is classic literature. Okay. The theory is that the murderer who is blamed for the deaths that are occurring does not actually exist, but is only a delusion created by the true villain. Okay. Uh, First clue, a character feels punished for his past sins by the deaths of others that keep happening around him. I, I am going to lock in. Okay. Classic literature punished for past sins. Yeah, I don't have anything. All right. Uh, the character, this is clue number two, and this is where I'm like, oh, is it too close to clue number one? The character does not only feel like they are punished, they feel personally responsible for the murderer being near his family. I'm, I'm only more confident. And I think and this, this is classic literature. Yeah, okay. classic literature. Uh, number three, this character feels that responsibility because he created the murderer by stitching pieces of corpses together and oh animating gosh. them to life through science experiments. I forgot. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I even jokingly thought that might be it. OK, well, yeah, I know now. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that one would give it away. Todd, did you want to luck in on that third one? <laughs> <It's> Draclia. <laughs> <laughs> So um, this- those of you who who follow me on Facebook know that I had a recent conversation with my 10-year-old about this. So yes, I am confident with number three. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, this is, of course, uh, Frankenstein. We can divvy out the points in just a second, but I just want to give the origin of this fan theory, which was actually a student of mine in a class discussion misinterpreting the text three quarters of the way through. <laughs> Lovely. And thinking that there was going to be a reveal that the monster did not exist, but that Victor Frankenstein was just killing everyone. Uh, and that, he had created this say, monster in his mind could... uh, to explain. And it was like a psychotic break. Like there were two personalities happening within Victor I Frankenstein. Like what, there was what, the one monster could, one that could he say, blamed on. One yeah. could say he was the monster. Yes. And it does align very well with the the Philosoraptor meme of knowledge is knowing <laughs> that uh, Frankenstein was not the monster. Wisdom yes. is knowing that Frankenstein was the monster. <laughs> I feel okay. like that one's not fair because I've, I've heard Joseph tell that story multiple times and I do absolutely and love it. I think the only thing in the novel that makes it not work is at the very end, the ship captain in the Arctic sees the monster wandering away. But that's like the only instance like, that actually makes it impossible to fully mm-hmm. accept, you know, make the fan theory work with that text. Well, a good fan theory requires a bit of suspension of disbelief. So. Yes. And so maybe that was a polar bear. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, All right. OK, so Kirsten, how many points did you get on that? One. And, and Todd, likewise. Um, Grudgingly, yeah, one, you one. want the one point? <laughs> if I have to. Yeah. 
I'll take it. <laughs> Dracula with Frankenstein in parentheses. <laughs> uh, okay, Kirsta, your final right. theory. Um, this work is a long-running live-action TV show. So the show is ostensibly a workplace series, but the fan theory is that almost the entire show is a hallucination on the part of the main character as he tries to process the actual events that he lived through. So we got a couple of hallucinations uh, in this episode. Uh, I feel like that is a go-to fan theory. Oh, yeah. and I'll and I'll give you the first. That, so, so that's the fan theory. Here's the first clue. The show is a historical drama set a few decades before it was produced. However, the creators were not always very careful about keeping contemporary fashion and styles out of the historical setting. So the fan theory explains this by saying that the main character's hallucinations are being affected by the contemporary fashions of his actual life in a mental hospital. Mm. So it's a period piece. I'm trying to think of a long-running office period piece. I, I'm not ready to lock in. Um. Oh, I have a suspicion, but I'm not. I'm not gonna lock. All right. Uh, clue number two. In universe, the last episode takes place in a mental hospital, so that would be one of the few, one of the only episodes, or one of the few episodes that is not a hallucination. No, I. I, 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 I that doesn't hit me with enough to to work with. I think I'm distracting myself. <laughs> it's not frozen. I'll give you that as a clue. <laughs> All right, I need to let that go. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> uh, and then clue number three. And I'll say, I always wrote my clue number three so that they would give it away. Um, this fan theory also explains why the show ran for 11 seasons, even though the actual Korean War only lasted for three ah, years. Oh, I'm locked oh, in. I'm man, locked in. I got it. I got it. I got it. <laughs> I need to get one and a half points because I locked in at the uh, at the ending of the first like five words. <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah that's I'm fair. fine giving you one and a half points, Todd. You, I, I, in fact, I, I can give you two. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> I can't accept it. I can't accept that. <laughs> pity points at this point. Um, I was really happy when yeah. Joe said office drama because I didn't say office drama or show. Said I said workplace, workplace, workplace. show. Yeah. So yes. Um, and then there are other theories. Other fan theories are that this is set in an, um, uh, with MASH. Sorry, we, we haven't officially said it yet. It's MASH. Um, the other theories are that it's set in an alternate universe where the Korean War really did last for 11 years, that it is somehow a pocket of 1970s influence time in a 1950s universe, that it is a psych test from the future. So the entire thing is a simulation as a psych <laughs> test. And in God. the future... Um, people don't know the 50s from the 70s. It just seems close enough if you're like 200 years in the future. Or it is a type of purgatory for U.S. Army medics from the 50s to the 70s. So it's just oh. like a mishmash of all of that. Purgatory <laughs> theories are also very popular. Yes. Which would which would fit into the, the whole um, Christmas to years ratio thing that I've read yes. about. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's also a theory that the mental break was triggered back to the back to the psychotic or the hallucination. Is there's a theory that the mental break was triggered by the by the death of of Henry Blake? So like the first season actually happens, but then the rest of it is um, is a hallucination until the last episode. Ugh. And I was really worried, Joe, when you started talking about your hallucination theory because I was like, no, no, didn't you check? Are you sure that we didn't guess the same one? But then we did not guess the same one. No, it was, it was a different one. Oh, yeah, I, I like, I mean, you can definitely spot trends in, in fan theories uh, when you oh, start sure. to like read up on them very much. But those are also, uh, you went through all the alternative theories and that was, as fans have put a lot of thought into this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. So that was um, one point each and 1.5 for, for Todd. <laughs> yes. I was like, yes, I'll accept that. I'll go as low as 1.4. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, then, then Todd, it is your final round. Okay, so this is not a fan theory yet. But it's one that I taught this spring. So I'm hoping that by disseminating this out amongst the 25 people in my class that um, I might be turning something over like in the system. You're, you're incepting it right now. Right. So yeah. it's a it's a fan theory, but possibly only from one fan. Right. And I, that was what I was asking sort of previously. A singular a fans <laughs> theory. Yeah, this is a fans theory, but I, I, I hope that we get there. So um, I, I would kind of take uh, Kirstie's 
uh, approach here and let's say I, I kind of like to kind of lay out in general terms what the fan theory is and then go through the character okay. um, rather than try to get people to guess the fan theory. So the uh, a fan theory is that this character would be diagnosed. Oh, and it is classic literature. Okay. As classic as it comes. Uh, novel. The fan theory is that this character would be diagnosed today as ADHD, probably. Hmm. First clue. This person is highly regarded in her community. Classic literature. Okay, I have a guess, but I'm not locking in. I don't, I'm, I'm not ready to lock in. Yeah. All right. This person is excellent at many different trivial things. Hmm. I'm not ready. Oh, I'm definitely not ready. I'm not. Oh. Um, I will take a gamble and lock in. I'm not sure, but I, but I'm feeling lucky. I think I think I just heard Kirsta enumerate all the female protagonists in classic literature <laughs> and narrow it down. <laughs> all right, the third one is is going to be the dead giveaway question. I think I think maybe this person is loved by someone who is really upset by the fact that he loves her. I mean, that kind of works with mine. Wait, hold on. One more time. This person is loved. This person is loved by someone who is really upset by the fact that he loves her. Is he also upset by other things that she does? Yes. Okay. I think I know it. Oh, man. Is is he... Is he significant... Well, wait. I should stop. I should stop. (laughs) Is he significantly older than her? Uh... I, I got guess. Yes, in, yes, guess. but yes. Okay. Significant, then. partially. It's a, um, if we go with the novel, then yes. Okay. And then here's I'm my gonna... fourth question. He has been played by Paul Rudd. <laughs> yes, he has. <laughs> okay. I'm going to need it. I, I think I've misfired. I, I think I think I misfired as well. So my guess is Emma. Yes, woohoo! I wrote Sense and Sensibility. Oh. And so, so the theory... I was was kind of in that range. I was like, Mm -hmm. well, okay. Like, it could be any of these... Like I mean, it was Emma, Sense and Sensibility, Pride and Prejudice. But see, I was going... I I had, like... I had Jane Eyre kind of floating, but I'm like, is she really... I don't. I, She's I not so well it. regarded. Yeah, that's so, what I've said. That's why I was like, eh, right. that doesn't fit. And I couldn't find anything that was fitting everything. But so Knight, Knightley is the one to pay attention here, to here. He mm-hmm. identifies a whole series of things, particularly about uh, Emma starts books but doesn't finish them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's yeah. a whole string. Once I sort of got on this and then read through and talked to my students about it, we started looking for it. And uh, it sort of came because, you know, anybody teaching these days knows that there's a whole lot of like mental health disclosure as mm-hmm. the natural byproduct of teaching right now. And it was actually a really great theory because a lot of students were like, yes, I see that. I see this mm-hmm. in myself. Um because again, she's high functioning, which is yeah. really common in the neurodivergence uh, discussion. Mm-hmm. And I just, I thought it was an example that we had at the beginning, but it is one that's so interesting when they talk about Sherlock mm-hmm. or a variety of any other characters. There's a, some great ideas that are at play with Abed um, from community and the yeah. way perhaps maybe community is just a series of alternate timelines in Abed's head. Um, but there's some things that I think in the neurodiversity where they start to say, but look at what the, look at what these people can do. Look at what their superpowers are. But perhaps uh, what we could say is her impulsivity when she, um, I just lost it. Uh, Mrs. Uh, Taylor Bates Bates. Um, Mar- yeah. Bates Bates. When he, when she just gets caught up in the flow and tears her down that would be a kind of impulse control thing. So I guess it's the idea of we didn't have the diagnosis back then, but maybe Jane Austen was an acute enough observer of people to say there's a thing that happens to people. Yeah, that's really yeah, interesting. 
I think that's definitely true. So like I just barely had a class where we did uh, the yellow wallpaper, which uh, we I, I know we talked about in an episode, but <laughs> almost as immediately like, oh, it's postpartum depression. But that wasn't like an identifiable thing when it was written. It's just all it just, of, everything is so obvious in the text to us now that we have greater awareness of that. That we mm-hmm. look at that character and say she's suffering from postpartum depression. Yeah, totally. I, and I love this. I love this reading. And I think that I, I predict that we might see more scholarship coming down the pike which is attempting to kind of blend traditional, you know, psychoanalytic criticism, but with maybe more um, something more useful, I guess, where people kind of use the diagnostic techniques um, that are happening in psychology today to say, oh, well, were these the behaviors? And part of it came from when I was in grad school, um, I was studying with Brian Evanson and he actually sent us to the diagnostic and statistical manual and had us reverse engineer characters. Ooh. Um, and so he had us doing that and reading some case studies from uh, Freud, like uh, Dr. Schreiber and other kinds of things. And he really wanted us to say, look, when you're kind of taking a look at psychological writing, uh, i.e., you know, these case studies or whatever, what they're doing is they're showing you the physical manifestations of different um, pathologies. And, he's, and he was really careful to say, look, this I'm not trying to turn you into, you know, psychologist, but I want you to think writers, writers allow certain things of character to manifest itself. So why not? Let's start working backwards to see what are the things that uh, medical people note in order to make their diagnosis. I thought it was fascinating when he sent us through that. And so um, when I kind of saw that, I was like, oh, this could be interesting. Let's just play it through in this reading. I mean, I love the book and I read Mm -hmm. it regularly, but that was just an idea. And I thought it would be fun to, to play it out in this game. No, I like I like it a lot, and I think you're like what you described immediately checks a lot of the boxes for for fan theory. Where it's like, okay, there's enough there <laughs> that that fits. So um, so now I have this. to go out there in the world and like plant it and then water it and make sure it grows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I know we're probably at the tail end of the episode length we were shooting for, but why do you think fan theory theorizing is so prevalent and popular? Well, to kind of flip that, I I heard someone observe the other day, this was um, Shannon Hale on Twitter, one of her kids who's like in a high school English class said something like, you know, writing English papers got a lot more fun when I realized that literary criticism is just fan theories about classic literature, Um, which honestly kind of illuminated a lot of my college experience to me as well. But I think, I think, you know, as a culture, we like analysis and we like you know, finding meaning in stories. Um, And so I think fan theories are a very specific subset of that. Like you said, that tends to fit into, you know, things like, like, you know, there are alternate universes and parallel timelines. And, you know, there's a certain kind of language to fan theories that is not exactly the same as sort of classic literary analysis. Um, But yeah, I think it's just a way of kind of understanding things and making connections or finding sort of hidden meaning in stories. And I think we just like that culturally. And, I got a brother, stepbrother, who's a chemist, um, and we ended up having this weird conversation about valences um, and how he does this work with alloys that are way out in the outer valences. Um, And he was talking about how there are reactions that can happen sometimes and they sometimes don't. And that the ones that you learn kind of in a general chemistry class as an undergrad are way on the inside. So I think... um, that one of the interesting things about fan theories is there are some that are down in the center of it all and really easy, really easy interpretations to make. But then there are some ones that are out on the side and those are the most interesting there, you know, and so it's the idea of the center and the fringe. And I really like it when a student of mine can kind of come up with a really interesting argument that they can support, even if it's a little crazy. Yeah, I think part of the fun of of a theory, a fan theory or a literary theory is is proposing something that does sound like it's a little bit out there and then suddenly backing it up with all the stuff that's in the text that you never noticed before, you know, like like Emma being ADHD. Um, and that's, you know, the more the more far out there it is, then the more of a high wire act it is and then the more thrilling it is if you can pull it off. Pull it off is a great way to say it. I love that. Well, thank you all for coming to participate in the fan theory game. And I appreciate the theories that were brought to the table. And I think there's something very fascinating uh, in, in looking through these and seeing all sorts of things that, that 
people have pulled from the media that they consume and the connections that we kind of want to make. And I think it's a fun side of fandom when it is that playfulness of exploring, like, well, what if this, or can we explain that? Um, And so I think on that point, we will wrap up this episode. Thank you all for joining us for show notes and links to all the other great dueling genre shows. You can go to duelinggenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the protagonist podcast in your podcast app of choice. And please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Scott talk to you composed our theme music. Uh, thank you again for listening. And we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. Oh no. Ah. I'm not ready for that. <laughs> I'll come up with something. Okay. All right. Uh The good news is he can edit this out. It's hard with 3. I know that that's less yep. ideal than when it's just a coin toss. Just flip a three-sided coin. Oh, that's that's all it takes. Get out your your six-sided die and go odds and even. No, wait. <laughs> doesn't work. That's only two. This this needs a Kickstarter. A, a Cerberus coin? You, <laughs> that's a license to print nerd money. It would definitely have uh, an, an, a market, yeah. We'd really be upending D&D. Just, we're remaking the system.